The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you are listening to me on America's Web Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about the fact that bureaucracy in medicine is a tool. Now, like many of you paying attention to world events, uh, if you're my age, I'm, uh, I'm going to be 57 this year, you might be a little bit frustrated with the way the world has been going. I know I am. And uh, just to kind of touch on a little of the cultural experience that we're all enduring right now to sort of demonstrate how bad things are gotten. When I first got into medicine over uh, 30 years ago, I really learned early on that free market healthcare was the way to go in terms of quality, cost, opportunity, innovation, and that socialized medicine was completely ineffectual, that it delivered, uh, it didn't even deliver healthcare. And over the years, through my practice and my experiences in academia, my experiences in medicine, my experiences in the business world, my beliefs have been strengthened and I've started to learn about why our system is the way it is. And there are a lot of things that most people don't realize uh, that we need to realize. Now, yesterday I was having a conversation with a fairly famous doctor in the last two years. It's somebody that most of you, uh, a name that most of you out there would recognize. And we were talking about how to combat this government takeover of healthcare, which is ostensibly what it is. Government, or I'm sorry, healthcare represents roughly 20% of the economy. And it's an opportunity for monumental control over the population and control over wealth. And that's why the government is so committed to taking over our healthcare system, because it delivers to them tremendous control and tremendous wealth and power. And so I was having a conversation with this uh, famous doctor, this innovator, and we we were discussing ways to help restore the doctor-patient relationship and help restore free market healthcare. And I was explaining to them that there are obstacles out there that government regulators have put in place that make it really difficult for doctors to get out from under the control of this government-controlled healthcare system. And I think we've seen that in the last two years in the age of COVID, that any dissenting views are attacked in a variety of different ways. The media will go after these people. Um, People who offer any dissenting views will be uh, attacked with ad hominem attacks. There will be an attempt to uh, decimate their patient base. Uh, in many cases, people lost their medical licenses and were fired for making statements about things that we now know are true. We knew back then, but the powers that be are actually admitting that 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 what they said was true, and yet they lost their li- their livelihoods. And I remember many years ago when I first started um, to get politically involved in medicine because I saw that it was slipping away before my very eyes. I remember thinking to myself. We just have to win the argument that these honest brokers in Washington at these agencies, they just didn't know the facts. And, of course, rational, good people who generally want the best for their children and the best for their communities just were misinformed. 
And boy, could that that uh, observation be any further from the truth. These people uh, are are. I'm just going to say it. In many cases, they're just evil people. They only care about money and power. They know the system that they're trying to implement doesn't work. They couldn't care less. And uh, these power brokers in D.C. have really taken over something that's very valuable to us, our health care and our ability to control our own health, and, and, and destroyed it. And um, I just want to make a couple observations about the world we live in right now to kind of give it some perspective so that we can get into what's happening with medicine. But I don't know if many of you have heard about the Hunter Biden laptop. So President Joe Biden, who was then vice president uh, under Barack Obama, had relationships with uh, oligarchs in Ukraine. Now, Hunter Biden, in case you guys don't know the story, Hunter Biden had a laptop <clears throat> that contained emails and, and other sort of uh, distasteful things that uh, he would not want out in the world, his um, unusual sexual behaviors and things like that. He had pictures on this laptop. But um, he took his laptop to a repair store and left it there, and he forgot about it. The person who was doing the repairs realized it was Hunter Biden's laptop, realized that there were very incriminating um, pieces of information on that laptop and gave it to the FBI. And the laptop suggested that Hunter Biden introduced his father, Joe Biden, to Ukrainian oil businessmen approximately a year um, before they started investigating Hunter Biden's son, who was given a $50,000 a month job for a no-show job on a Ukrainian oil company, gas company. He had no expertise in Ukraine. Hunter Biden doesn't know the language. Uh, he doesn't really have anything to offer. And one would ask, why would he be getting a $50,000 a month no-show job to be on a Ukrainian uh, oil uh, board? Well, Joe Biden was vice president at the time, and one would make the common sense deduction that the reason that the oil company was giving Hunter Biden money was for access to the vice president of the United States, who we now know went over to Ukraine. And basically, we have it on videotape. He's at the Council on Foreign Relations, and Joe Biden is bragging about the fact that the Ukrainian government had a prosecutor that was in, in investigating Burisma Oil Company, and Joe Biden basically said, if you don't fire the prosecutor within the next six hours, which is when apparently Joe Biden's plane was leaving, that Ukraine would not be getting a billion dollars in aid. Now, to my way of thinking, that's quid pro quo. I mean, uh, uh, you know, neither here nor there, but my point is, he was clearly threatening the Ukrainian government to do something, meaning fire the prosecutor that was investigating his son's oil company, Burisma, and and they did. And uh, Joe Biden basically said, if you don't fire him within the next six hours, you're not going to be getting the billion dollars of aid. Now, subsequently, uh, Donald Trump, who was president, was impeached over what they referred to as a quid pro quo, saying that somehow on a phone call with with the Ukrainian leader, um, that somehow Joe Biden suggested that he would he would uh, withhold aid from the United States unless the Ukrainian president would investigate Hunter Biden. Now, these allegations were proven false. In fact, President Trump released 
the transcript of the phone call between himself and President Zelensky of Ukraine. And we could all see as sentient beings, as independent uh, evaluators of the of the uh, transcript of the phone call, that there was no quid pro quo. There was none. And yet this impeachment went on as if we didn't just all read the letter. I mean, it's bizarro world. I'm sure many of you had the same uh, experience. Now, we also had at the time, because it was getting around election time, where Joe Biden was going against Donald Trump, where we had the media promote this idea that 50 former intelligence officers, James Clapper and John Brennan, these, these uh, you know, known left-wing uh, former intelligence officers, they had this 50 intelligence officers state that the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. Well, you fast forward, Joe Biden gets into office, we can debate whether or not he actually won the election. But regardless, Joe Biden becomes the president of the United States. And here we are. Now, all of a sudden, the New York Times admits the Hunter Biden laptop is real. Now, there was a time not too long ago where if any of us tried to post this on social media, we would have been banned. Some people banned for life. Um, You have fact checkers that are working overtime uh, to try and promote this narrative that the Hunter Biden laptop was fake and was Russian disinformation. And now we know for a fact that it's true. To get even more into bizarro land, you have this situation where Hunter Biden has a laptop that shows emails that to just a casual observer may suggest that Joe Biden and other officials in our government may be compromised. Now, I'm not here to say they are or they aren't. I have my own opinions about that, but certainly there's enough evidence here to warrant an investigation. I mean, we have government agencies and we have things in place that are designed to protect us, the American people, from espionage. And this seems like something that ought to be looked at by the FBI. And the FBI cyber assistant deputy director was up on Capitol Hill being um, questioned by Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates, and Matt Gates asked him, "Where is the laptop?" And the FBI director said he had no idea. Now this blows me away. You have this laptop that has information that seems to uh, make it appear as if Joe Biden and our uh, other officials in our government could be compromised, and the FBI cyber director has absolutely no idea where this information is. He seemed completely disinterested in even knowing about it. Matt Gates, at the end of the questioning, tried to get the information of the laptop, which he possessed, to be entered into the record. And uh, Jerry Nadler, who was chairing the the meeting, uh, prevented that from happening. Um, bizarro world. I'm living in a world where I'm watching a man named Leah Thomas compete in women's swimming and seems to be winning all of these races. Now, as a physician, I am capable of defining a woman. A woman is a person with excess chromosomes who has a female genitalia who is capable of uh, becoming pregnant and giving birth. Um, Apparently, our Supreme Court nominees are unable to, to figure this out. Um... 
But it's weird because Joe Biden, who appoints his Supreme Court nominee, knows what a woman is because he specifically says he's only going to nominate a woman. But then when the woman gets up there and she's questioned about what is a woman, uh, she says she doesn't know because she's not a biologist. Again, bizarro world. We're living in a world where somebody who apparently is going to end up on the Supreme Court can't define a woman. It makes me wonder, can she define the Constitution or the Second Amendment? Can she define the right to free speech? Or is she uh, unable to do that as well? It's people are basically making egregious decisions that affect you. And I'm going to tie this back into your health care because it's very important. Um, we have this woman, Leah Thomas. She's a man competing in women's sports. And when you see a picture of this man next to the women that he's beating in sports, he's got these incredibly broad shoulders. He's, you know, he looks like he's half a foot taller than all of them. And he's he's a man. He's got broad shoulders. He's got muscle strength. And he's winning all of these races because we're living in a world where people either are so brainwashed that they can no longer identify a woman or they're afraid to identify a woman because we know that cancel culture will try to take our business away, will try to attack and assassinate our characters and remove us from polite society. And I'm sitting here as a physician watching this, like, how come every time one of these so-called transgender men gets transitioned into a woman, they win all of these sports all the time? It's utterly ridiculous. They have muscle mass. They have body structure that is genetically male and gives them a decided advantage in these athletic competitions. And I'm not saying anything that's super technical, that's super medical, or even super debatable. But yet, I feel like I'm probably one of the few people who's willing it to say it out loud in public. And honestly, when I do say it, I do recognize that I'm setting myself up for attack and I'm risking things. Now, we just talked about the fact that Katanji, I apologize if I'm saying her name wrong, Katanji Brown Jackson is uh, President Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court of the United States, was asked uh, by Marsha Blackburn to define a woman, and she couldn't do it. Um, we just <clears throat> had a president not too long ago who made the United States or created the conditions where the United States was able to achieve energy independence and be a net exporter of oil just a few years ago for the first time in our history. Now, these are facts. We were a net exporter of oil. And I can just tell you, I was going to the gas station and, you know, gas for me was a little over two bucks a gallon. And it was started. It was high under Obama. Trump came into office. He implemented common sense policies like opening uh, the Keystone Pipeline and uh, granting leases on federal lands for people to drill and other things that clearly have a positive effect on oil production and lowering gas prices. We were energy independent, so we were no longer dependent on countries that hate us uh, for oil. And then Joe Biden comes into office. His, uh, he almost immediately bans any drilling on federal lands. He bans the Keystone Pipeline. And now we're looking, you know, I almost spending $100 to fill up my gas tank. It's over $5 a gallon. Now, 
I was trying to look up on Google some information about these gas prices, and the fact checkers are just working overtime to try and convince us, oh, Joe Biden is producing more oil than ever, that the drilling leases are the most. They're lying to us. They are lying to us. You don't have to be a rocket science to figure this out. Under Obama, gas prices were high because of the policies they implemented. Trump implemented conservative free market policies. The price came down. We were a net exporter. Our energy, We were energy independent for the first time. Biden comes in, and two seconds after he takes control and bans these leases and shuts down the pipeline, the prices are through the roof. And yet you have the media and Joe Biden and other people trying to blame it on climate change. Climate change. I mean... Look, when you look at climate change, we're looking at decades and decades and decades and decades of this propaganda to try and get us to believe things that are not true. And I'm a common sense type person. You cannot, the weather is not able to be predicted a day from now. I get told it's going to be raining tomorrow and it's bright and sunny. It happens all the time. I go skiing. I'm told there's not going to be any snow and it dumps a couple of feet. If you cannot predict the weather in a couple of days, how is it possible that people are going to be able to predict the climate in 100 years or 500 years or 1,000 years? The other thing is I'm old enough to remember when the cover of Time magazine said the coming ice age. Then the ice age thing wasn't working out. They switched it to global warming. And then when the global warming didn't happen, they changed it to climate change, which to any sentient being says, wait a second, you guys keep changing your mind and you're trying to change it into something that no matter what happens, you can still make your argument. You might say to yourself, why are they so committed to promoting climate change? And the reason is, and I've seen it, I've never seen it more clearly in my life than I have with COVID. You need to create a boogeyman that allows these government entities to co-opt money from the tax bases of various countries and spread it around to their friends that are in on it. And that is exactly what is happening here. And this is why we are being left to argue the point, should men be competing in women's sports? Um, They recently came out with a bill in Florida that the left is trying to promote as the don't say gay bill. Uh, Basically, our Sadly, in our public schools, kindergartners, kindergartners up through third grade are being taught information about transgender sexuality and things like that. Uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, has uh, signed a bill that basically bans this sexualization of our children, which uh, is endorsed by a significant majority of people in this country and the left is going out there saying it's a don't say gay bill when there's nothing about gay in the bill whatsoever because you can read it it's only six pages long and you can see there's nothing in there about don't say gay but there we're living in this bizarro world where they're just lying to us the lies are getting bigger and bigger uh and they're just obviously demonstrably false like a man is not a woman. I'm supposed to believe that a Supreme Court nominee is unable to define what a woman is. Um, let's talk about the vaccination. Well, we just had a Ruby Princess cruise ship had 100% vaccination on board, and yet they had a coronavirus outbreak on the ship. So 
you know, I'm being told that we all have to be vaccinated. And as a doctor, I'm just like, I don't understand. If it's not working, why are you making me do it? And why don't I have any say in this? Um, So, you know, we're living in this world where people in power are telling us that they don't know what women are. Uh, They're telling us that a vaccine is mandated because it's going to prevent transmission. And yet, anytime we see that it doesn't prevent transmission necessarily, uh, people like me get banned or we have, um, you know, attacks against our character. We have our medical licenses threatened. And I'm just making an observation. I'm just saying it was reported in the newspaper. You can even look it up on Google where their fact checkers are always trying to manipulate the truth and make you believe something that's not happening. You can go look it up and it says 100% vaccinated and yet they had a coronavirus outbreak. All right. I'm just reporting you that. Um, Gas prices, which are so obviously related to our policy, uh, is being blamed on climate change. And we're being told that what I'm seeing before my very eyes, that Biden banned uh, drilling on federal lands, shut down the Keystone Pipeline, I'm being told that has no bearing on oil prices that suddenly, right after that happened, spiked up to above $5 per per gallon and we're no longer energy independent. I've got Hunter Biden's laptop, which, by the way, Polls have shown that had um, uh, people known about the, the story behind the Hunter Biden laptop, that they would have changed their vote in numbers that would have meant that Trump would have won the election. So you basically have them tampering with elections by the media and the left lying to us about the fact that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. And now that the truth is out, now that the election's won, now the New York Times trying to cover itself is reporting on the fact that, yes, the Hunter Biden laptop is real. And now we're going to be spun this web of lies about Joe Biden had nothing to do with this. This is poor Hunter Biden, a drug addicted victim and that we shouldn't be uh, attacking him. And the reason that I bring up all this stuff and we talked a little bit about it last week is we want to be taken care of, you know. We talked about the FDA. Oh, the FDA is there to make sure that drugs are safe and to make sure that devices that are are given to me are safe. Um, And we no longer teach our children about the concept of caveat emptor. When I was a kid, we used to learn that Latin phrase, caveat emptor, meaning buyer beware. Nobody looks out for your own interests better than you look out for yourself. And to cede this power to a government entity is is doing yourself a disservice. You are... um, you are ceding power over something incredibly important, your own health care, to a group of people that do not care about you and only care about themselves and are using the health care as, as a method of obtaining wealth and power for themselves. And um, as somebody who's been on the inside of health care, listen, I've been... Uh, you know, medical school and academia. I've been on the inside of academia for a long time. I used to work at the Lombardi Cancer Institute. I used to work at the NIH. I've done research. I understand how the scientific community works. I understand how uh, scientists need to obtain grants and get money from government. Uh, So the government is basically controlling the livelihood of people who are are conducting science on, say, things like, oh, I don't know, climate change. So if you're a scientist and you want to do a study that shows that climate change may not be. And when I say that man-made climate change, 
that, that it may not be having effect. Do you think you're going to be getting a grant from a government that's completely vested in proving that climate change is real so that they can implement regulations and policies to tax the populace and then take that money and spread it to their buddies in the Green New Deal? This is not rocket science. And I listen, I know part of what I'm talking about today is a little bit off the topic of medicine, but the reason that I'm talking about it this way is I've really gotten frustrated and I've really just come to the realization that it's not about winning the argument anymore. I used to be I used to be of the belief that I just needed to show people that if you allow for free market healthcare, you'll get better medicine and you'll get better care at a lower cost and more innovation and quality. Those are facts. They're immutable facts. And everybody knows it on both sides of the aisle. People who want socialized medicine, they know it. But they want the power and control that comes along with socialized medicine. And that's why I'm cutting to the chase. If we want control of our health care back, we're going to have to change the way people think about things. We're going to have to change the culture. And what I mean is we need to get back to objective reality. We need to stop living in this world that doesn't exist this world where men are women and women are men. And if you even ask the question, you're, you're pilloried for it. You're attacked. You're canceled. Free speech just has got to come back. I mean, powerful people are openly saying things like we need to be on, on both sides of the aisle, too. I've heard Republicans say this. Um, what's his name down in Florida? Just recently said we got to ban misinformation from Russia. Banning information is not the way to get information. Allowing the free exchange of information is the way to get information. And people need to understand all information is biased. All information is biased. Every single person on this planet, me included, who delivers you information has a bias, has a point of view. They choose what to highlight, what to exclude. All of these things go into the factors that allows somebody to arrive at a conclusion. And if you have an entity that is banning speech from one part of the world, you're going to be missing some of that information. And I always ask people, who gets to decide what truth is? I mean, it's always the self-appointed people, often in government, that are the most biased people that are deciding what it is we're allowed to say, what it is we're not allowed to say, and what we can hear. And they use terms like we're protecting you from misinformation. And I feel like a lot of people are getting numb to this, especially our young people who sadly are going through our public education system and they're being taught things about climate change is a fact that's never to be talked about again and nobody should ever think anything of it. And if you do question anything about climate change, then you're a hater, you're a racist, you're a misogynist, you're anti-science. And I would just like to point out that when Al Gore's movie came out, um, I want to say in 2000, somewhere around there, about uh, it was called An Inconvenient Truth. He made all these assertions, you know, the polar bear was going extinct, the ozone layer was going to disappear, the polar ice caps were melting, uh, New York was going to be underwater. Well, all of the assertions made... In that movie, The Inconvenient Truth, have come to pass and not happened. New York isn't underwater. The polar ice caps have not melted. And the polar bear is no longer the icon for global warming or climate change anymore. Why? Because polar bears are doing so well that it is utterly ridiculous 
to have them representative of something that may go extinct because they're not going extinct. Folks, I'm asking you to believe your eyes again. That's all we're doing. Now, listen, I'm going to tie this back in the mess. When we get back, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to me on America's Web Radio. We'll be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. On the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. And we're talking about the fact that bureaucracy and healthcare is a tool. It's a tool used to design uh, that's used that is designed to deny you your health care. And, you know, as somebody who's been in medicine for 30 years, I've been in academia, I've been in the business world, and I've been on the inside of healthcare for 30 years. I've learned a few things that I know not very many people uh, understand or are aware of, which is allowing the powers that be to get away with uh, taking over our healthcare system and denying us control over our own healthcare. Now, years ago when the Affordable Care Act was being debated, um, and I was a younger doctor, and I heard that they were trying to uh, essentially socialize medicine, which is what the Affordable Care Act was and accomplished, and we do now have it in the United States, sadly. Um, I was under the impression that the reason that this happened was <clears throat> because well-meaning people in Washington, D.C. and working at our agencies simply didn't have the information necessary to make the appropriate decisions uh, to to implement policy and procedure that would allow us to have the best possible health care and, and to take care of ourselves. 
And so I took many trips to Washington, D.C. I met with um, many senators and congressmen and other people in power. And what I learned was they understood full well what was happening. Uh, they understood that socialized medicine was poor health care. But what they wanted was the power and control that came with it. And you realize that you weren't arguing facts with these people. I remember going to visit with Mary Landrieu, who at the time was senator from Louisiana. And one of the things you learn when you go to D.C., and I'm going to be a little bit hyperbolic here, but not too much hyperbolic, but you see that these people have been in power, many of them, forever. And, you know, they've been there for 50 years. I mean, just look at Joe Biden. And then when you look at who was in the seat before that, it was their their parents. You know, you look at Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. She's got a powerful family. Mary Landrieu, whole family, runs the city of Lu- or the state of Louisiana. She was a senator at the time, and she was one of two key votes that was necessary at the time to pass the Affordable Care Act. So I went with a group of doctors to try and share some information about how the Affordable Care Act would destroy health care. And in fact, everything that we said was likely to happen has in fact happened. And now health care has been destroyed in many ways and is on a death spiral unless we change course. And so we went to Mary Landrieu's office to discuss. She, of course, wouldn't come and see us. So she sent out her health care liaison. Uh, this was a 26-year-old woman who was steeped in left-wing politics who came right out of college uh, and was, you know, idealistic, who um, I will just tell you was inexperienced in in worldview. And I know that because I was once 26 as well, and I didn't know anything either. Um, before you have children, before you have life punch you in the mouth, before you have to buy a home, uh, before you have to send kids to a school, there are a lot of things that you just have no concept about. And usually 26-year-old healthy people can't possibly understand what it is to have control over your own health care because when you're 26 and you're healthy, you almost never access the system. And there I was with about 20 doctors talking to this young lady And I would say we probably had about 200 years of medical experience in that room uh, stating our case to her. And she sat there with a clipboard on her lap, looking about as perturbed as a person could look, looking just, I, I mean, the way I projected onto her, it looked to me like she was absolutely annoyed that we peasants dared to go in and challenge these people on their view of healthcare. And I want to say after a few minutes, I was doing most of the talking, actually. And after a few minutes, she basically interrupted me and said, I know so much more about healthcare than you people. This is all I do all day long. And if you see my jaw is dropping, it's still dropping. The arrogance, the lack of insight that this 26-year-old female speaking to 20 doctors with 200 years of medical experience and just indignant about the fact that she could possibly learn anything from us. That is what they all are. All of these politicians up there, again, I'm being hyperbolic for you fact checkers out there and people who who just want to attack me because I know you'll come behind me and basically say I was lying or spreading misinformation or whatever. And I have to say I'm being hyperbolic. But my point is, when I went up to see a lot of these politicians, both uh, Democrats and, and Republicans, uh, Senate and Congress and agency leaders, um, their offices are being run by young people in their 20s that don't really have any life experience 
and they basically are in a situation where they spend their entire lives getting elected. And so it's all about fundraisers. It's all about parsing your words. It's funny. No matter who you are, if you go in and talk to these people, they have a way of talking back to you saying like, oh, I agree with you 100%. So it doesn't matter you know, if Karl Marx goes in and talks to the senator, they'll be saying exactly what he wants to hear. If Thomas Jefferson comes in and starts talking to the senator, he's going to make Thomas Jefferson feel like they're copacetic. They're very wormy about how they say things to their constituency. And then the policy is basically run by these 20-year-olds, 20-something-year-olds who are fresh out of college who have this idealistic worldview. And it's about horse trading. The other thing I've learned about politics is by the time you get a law or a policy up to D.C. to be voted on, it's already done. The culture, where you get people to believe certain things, it's already happened. And that's why seating our children to these schools where our kids are being hypersexualized in kindergarten, uh, learning about trans and and other sexual uh, type things is totally wholly inappropriate. Gosh, I was in I think I was a freshman or sophomore in high school before I ever even had a sex ed class, which, by the way, I could have done without it. That's a job for my parents. And, you know, the idea that the left is promoting this law signed by Governor DeSantis in Florida is the don't say gay bill when it doesn't say anything in the kind. It's just emblematic of everything. They try to label it as something to get people to believe that something bad is happening and they're just lying to you about it the one that used to drive me nuts the most was that trump said that neo-nazis were very fine people and i'm thinking to myself i was watching when it happened and to just lay the stage for you people out there because you've been lied to on every single news outlet including fox news i watch it all the time where they let this narrative go on without being corrected but it was at a time when Uh, Antifa was tearing down these statues, these Civil War statues, in their opinion, all of the General Lee and anything related to Civil War needed to be torn down. And there were people like me that believed that that uh, that is not how we decide whether or not statues stay up or down is not by mobs going in and tearing down statues of uh, people, including abolitionists, uh, that there's a process for that. And. And so there were people who believed the statue should be torn down, and there were people that believed the statue should not be torn down, me being one of them. And President Trump said there were very fine people on both sides of that issue, meaning should the statues be down, be torn down. He then went on to say, I'm not talking about the white supremacists or the neo-Nazis. They should be condemned totally. That is a quote, and he said it. And it is clear that everybody said it. And then Joe Biden, to this day, he just did it not too long ago, saying that that uh, Trump called neo-Nazis and white supremacists very fine people. He didn't do anything of the sort. The reason I'm telling you this is you need to understand that when you go to Google or you go to DuckDuckGo or you go to scientific papers and you think you are getting objective information, you are not. All of the data that we receive these days is being manipulated by fact checkers and Uh, You know, it's not even manipulation anymore. In many cases, it's flat out lie. Fifty former intelligence officers uh, say that the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. I mean, that is not an accident. Fifty James Clapper, John Brennan, you don't think they knew the truth? There's no way. This is where we get our information. And when I look something up that I actually know for a fact 
um, you know, I already have the information because I learned it a long time ago or through personal experience. And then I read the fact checkers trying to alter uh, alter the reality. It's insane to me. We're never going to get to where we need to be unless we have objective truth. And I'm trying to show you that it's all around us, not just in healthcare, but it's everywhere we look. We see this. We see narratives and false narratives being manipulated and being propagated by the media. And you cannot make accurate and appropriate decisions for your life if you don't have truthful information. And healthcare is no different than anything else. Now, we've had the government take over of healthcare. That's already happened. With the passage of Obamacare, the government sets what health insurance companies can charge. And you might say to yourself, well, wait a second, if there's a health insurance company, then how is that socialized medicine? Because the state regulates the health insurance company to the point where uh, the health insurance company can't make business decisions uh, independent of the state. And therefore, they're just implementing health care the way they're mandated. I mean, have you ever wondered to yourself why there's only the few health insurance companies that there are? You know, you got your Blue Cross Blue Shield, your Aetna, your Humana. Um, uh, you know, you got the few of the United. Uh, why aren't there more? Why doesn't Geico or why doesn't Progressive or why, why aren't these other insurance companies that insure cars and stuff like that? Why can't they provide health insurance? Uh, they have actuaries. They have a client base. Why can't they do it? The reason is there re- there's regulation in there to prevent pr- competitors from coming into the marketplace. Because if we had competitors competing in a marketplace, you would see costs come down and you would see the quality of our insurance coverage go up. But with the passage of Obamacare, the or, uh, the Affordable Care Act, the law states that a health insurance has to provide uh, standard coverage. So... When I was young, you used to be able to get a a, a, a high-deductible, low-premium plan that was for catastrophic. And as a young, healthy person, I really just wanted health care in case I got hit by a bus or if I got a, an illness like cancer or something like that. But as you get older, sometimes you want different policies, and they used to tailor policies based on how much money you wanted to spend and, and all this sort of stuff. Now with the Affordable Care Act, you just have gold, silver, and bronze, which is pretty much the same thing. Um, the the uh, Affordable Care Act said the insurance companies can only charge this amount of money, so it has nothing to do with the cost to the insurance company. So the government mandates that the insurance company provide coverage uh, that they demand. So if you're a, uh, a prepubescent male, you still have to get prenatal coverage. You still have to pay for that. You know what? I'm never going to use that. A menopausal woman. Uh, why would they need that? Um, the coverage is the same. It doesn't matter if you go to Aetna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, United. It, it's the same, and it's mandated by the government. The amount of money that can be lost is limited, and so th- at a certain point, a health insurance company can displace their losses onto the taxpayer. That's you and me. And the reason they do it that way is it's a hidden cost. That way, we don't realize. Even though our premiums have gone up, you know, 300 percent and our deductibles are so prohibitive that a lot of us can't even access the healthcare system anyway, um, it prevents us uh, from seeing the actual cost. Uh, and then there was the elimination of what we call community rating, which means an insurance company cannot alter your price based on your age, your sex, your health. 
um, or any other factors, and that's ridiculous. If you have somebody who's you know 20 years old and healthy, and you have an 80-year-old who has heart disease and lung disease and kidney disease and emphysema, well, the risk's not the same. The 80-year-old is going to cost the insurance company more, and that's been taken away from the from the ability of these actuaries to to mitigate risk. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, the point is that is not how insurance works. The government is basically just saying we have decided what health care is and how much it costs, and it's super expensive to you. And the scam that they pull is for people who can afford it, like me, my premiums are enormous. I you know, I spend like thirty thousand dollars a year on health insurance before I even access the system. If you're poor and you can't afford the premiums, somebody else pays for it, like me and you, if you can. So the person who can't afford the health insurance is like, oh, this is great. I have my Affordable Care Act insurance, and it doesn't even cost me that much in my premiums. But when they try to go access the system, say they need uh, an appendectomy for appendicitis, their deductible is $10,000, something they can't afford. Their deductibles are prohibitive, so that if you're poor, you can't afford the deductibles to access the system, and it's a win-win for the government who's implementing this policy. Now, the thing that frustrates me is the scam that's being perpetrated on on the American people, where the the government has uh, gone to take over our healthcare system, and this has been going on for a long time. Um, and people are not able to connect the dots. Even doctors are not able co- to connect the dots because it's hard for one person to have experience with all this stuff. So. As patients, most of us don't really access the system unless we're sickly. And so you have this card in your pocket and you get comfortable thinking to yourself, well, I'm covered. I got my, you know, I got my insurance card in my pocket. If something happens, I'm good. It's only when you go and you try and access the system that you start learning, oh, this isn't covered, that isn't covered. And then you learn about the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy is the business side of the medicine that is designed to frustrate delay, deny, and prevent you from accessing the system. And the more the bureaucracy takes hold, the less humanity it has and the more draconian it becomes. And I'm just going to share a little experience. I'm on call at one of my hospitals uh, not too long ago, and there was a patient that came in when I was on call that had a femur fracture. So they broke their thigh bone. So I have to do this surgery. Uh, they come in one night, I go to work, I'm operating myself at my surgery center all day, and then I have to do it at the end of the day. Well, the hospital decides that they're no longer going to, right at the last minute, at the 11th hour, the hospital decides that they're no longer going to rep, uh, recognize my representative's vaccination status uh, because my, my rep, so my device rep, the person who uh, represents the company that sells me the nail, they're the person who knows how to put the nail together and attach it to all the jig and everything. So when I'm operating on the patient, the representative is usually in the room working with my assistant to teach them, you know, you put the nail on this way and you put this in that way and here are the tools underneath. And then I say, okay, give it to me. I put it in. Give me the proper screwdriver. Give me the proper drill. Well, they would not allow this this rep to come in because the rep had cancer. And because they had cancer, they had an exemption from getting vaccinated, which has been fine for the last couple of years. And then at the 11th hour, it's nighttime. I'm going in to do this case. They say he can no longer come in. And so the company had to send me a young kid who didn't know anything about this nail. And a case that should have taken me 20 minutes 
uh, it took me two and a half hours of pure frustration and and you know uh, honestly I would say if I didn't have my skill and experience I might not have been able to get the case done this is very frustrating and I would go back to what we talked about earlier today I just talked about the Ruby Princess cruise line that you can go read in the newspaper, even on Google, and even with the fact checkers manipulating data, you can go read for yourself. The Ruby Princess Cruise Line, I believe they came into Monterey in uh, California. Uh, they had 100% vaccination on the ship, and yet they had a coronavirus outbreak. 100%. 100% vaccinated in a closed space, and yet they had a coronavirus outbreak. Now, I'm getting ready to do a surgery. I need this person in the room to help me do a good job. The hospital just willy-nilly, oh, you know, we've decided we're not recognizing this cancer patient's vaccine status. Where is the rationality in that? There isn't. There isn't. Because when the bureaucracy takes over, there is no rational thought. I always give the example of when I was in college, I went to UC Berkeley. And UC Berkeley is a very large public school and um, it has a lot of great things about it. The rugby team is amazing. Um, and it's recognized. I want to actually say it was just rated the number one university in the country. Not, you know, with the rating people these days, who knows what that even means. But it's a good university. There's definitely a lot of smart people there. But it wasn't a great university for me, I thought, at the time, because I didn't do well in this big environment. When I took my chemistry class, there were a 1,000 people in the class and the guy you know the the professor was down there at the bottom of the auditorium he was so small i couldn't even see him and they had these television sets that were going up the aisle and i remember i couldn't see him so i just look at it on tv and you know these a lot of these professors not all but a lot of them are sort of not really interested in the teaching part especially in the sciences they're really there to do their research and the teaching is kind of like oh they have to do it so it just wasn't great for me. I could have used a little more one-on-one. I could have used a little more personal touch that maybe you get at a um, at a private school or a smaller school. Um, I digress a little bit. The point I want to make is it is a huge bureaucracy. A public university is a huge bureaucracy, and the lesson that I got in bureaucracy was gold, and it helped me with my whole life. I remember my father was in the military. My father was a naval officer. And he used to teach me about bureaucracy. And, uh, for example, he would tell me about the rule of no blanks, meaning if you get a government document and you have to fill it out, it does not matter what you put in those lines because the people collecting it couldn't care less. What matters is that you don't leave anything blank. The little bureaucrat that's watching that form, the only thing they're going to recognize is if you don't fill something out. So make sure you fill something out on every line. It was great advice. Um, I remember one year, because I was still in college, so I was over 18, I was probably 22, and uh, I would get my military ID every year. And if um, if you're over 18, you have to prove that you're still in college in, store to, in, in order to still be a dependent on my father and be able to get my military ID. So my father happened to be in town. We were going to get the, the ID renewed. And... The bureaucrat at the this is a military bureaucrat is uh, telling me they need a letter from the chancellor of UC Berkeley stating that I'm still a student in order for him to approve my ID. And I I'm sitting there like just stunned, like the chancellor of a school that's got 30,000 undergrads and 
you know, God knows how many uh, postgrads. I mean, 50,000 students there. The chancellor is supposed to write a little note saying Scott is still in school so I can get this military ID. Who came up with these rules? People don't even know. That's how bureaucracy works. Somehow stupidity like this gets done. And that's why you get frustrated with your health care when you meet up with these roadblocks that seem insane. And the reason is they are. So I'm sitting here stunned like this is ridiculous. How am I going to get it? My dad's giving me the don't even worry. He's like, shut up. Just don't even worry about it. I'm like, what are you talking about, dad? We leave the room. We go into the next room. My father pulls out a piece of uh, paper, puts it in a typewriter. That's how long ago this was. It was a typewriter. And uh, he types up a little letter. Hey, to whom it may concern, this is the chancellor of UC Berkeley. Just want to let you know that uh, we're really looking forward to Scott's return in the spring. And, uh, you know, hey, uh, tell him I said hi. I can't remember what my father said. But he basically typed out, and literally the guys are through the door in the next room. We're on his, you know, we're in this office using their typewriter, typing up this little letter. My dad does a little chancellor signature. We walk back in. The guy's like, okay. And he gives me my ID. And my father looked at me and he said, you got to understand how to use bureaucracy. you got to understand how to work with it. Now, that time it worked out. But there was another time I wasn't so lucky. So I played soccer at UC Berkeley. And um, we used to get a half a unit a semester uh, to be on the soccer team. So, you know, I got my grades at the end of the year. And I'm looking down my grades and I got an F. What did I get an F in? I got an F in men's soccer. That's supposed to be an automatic A. When you're on, like, you know, the football team or the soccer team or the water polo team or the basketball team, you know, you get this. I can't remember if it was a half unit or a unit. But it's usually an A. It's just an automatic A. That was kind of one of the great things about playing sports in college was because you could get this unit and get an A. I got an F. Well, when I went to look back into it, if uh, when, when I was in school, we used to have these little phone book things that had every single class offered by the university with these little tiny numbers that were really teeny tiny written. It would be like 7829368412990. And that number would re- represent the class that you were signing up. I happened to go in, and you would have to actually go to the building. So on the days that you were signing up for your next semester's classes, you'd be running from building to building. And sometimes, uh, you know, the good classes would be filled up, and you'd have to, oh, i got to find something else. You'd go through the phone book. What else could I get? And then you'd run to that building, and you would sign up, and you would fill it out on these little forms, and that's how you would sign up for class. Well, I accidentally signed up for women's soccer, which was one number off, and it was right below men's soccer. I signed up for women's soccer, which, of course, back in those days, apparently these people understood the difference between men and women. Uh, Too bad I didn't happen nowadays because I could have just said, oh, you know, I identify as being on the women's soccer team, and I would like an A. But back then I couldn't do that. And uh, I thought to myself at the time, well, this ought to be easy to fix. I'm obviously a man. And not a woman. I'm just going to go to the office and get a fix. Nope. Could not happen. I could not get it undone. I ended up having to go to the summer school at the University of Hawaii to take a class uh, from a person uh, who uh, taught me about communism. I'll get into that story another time. But basically, this person was from a foreign country and hated capitalism. And I just remember the entire time being told how awful capitalism is and there I was on the front lines of the culture change not recognizing that was happening but I had to go take the summer school class in order to get enough units so that I would be eligible to play sports the following year and to this day that F is on my transcript at UC Berkeley 
because of bureaucracy. Well, maybe you're saying to yourself, not such a big deal uh, for men and women's soccer, but it is a big deal if you've got cancer and you need to get cancer treatment. It's a big deal if you have some sort of medical emergency and you need to get coverage. It's a pretty big deal. And the bureaucracy is just as draconian in your healthcare system as it is, uh, you know, at these universities and other places where the the uh, where the government is in control. Now, I have talked um, <clears throat> many times about my experiences at the VA, and we know that the VA is. I guess it's a mixture of socialized medicine and military, making it the most bureaucratic place that I've ever seen in my life. And absolutely no humanity, no humanity. And listen, I have people all the time tell me, hey, Scott, you're too hard on the VA. I've gone to the VA and gotten great treatment and everything like that. And the answer to that question is, you know, yes, you do. From time to time, uh, you will get treatment. But in a lot of cases, I would say, how do you know you got good treatment? I mean, if you go and you get treated and you don't notice, you know, you don't die right there, you don't have some major problem, how do you know that you got the best possible treatment? You know, if you don't know what's possible, you don't really know um, how to figure out what good treatment is. And I can tell you, I've told you that story many times about when I went to the VA and we tried to work and do everything and we started moving the cases along that all of the employees there started complaining and my partner and I got in trouble. And so we were told to stop working basically. The government has taken over our health care. In order for us to gain control and sovereignty over our own bodies, uh, we're going to have to take it back. And that means we're going to have to have a change in leadership. We're going to have to have a change in policy. And I'm going to be talking to you guys in the next uh, few weeks about how we've been infiltrated, how our healthcare has been taken over, and ways that we can work to get it back. And we're looking for free market healthcare, which is becoming more and more available near you, is something that you all need to look into. Thanks for listening to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber. You're listening to America's Web Radio. I'll see you guys next time. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.